Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome to Self-Storage Income, and it is a new year. That's right. No, not just a new year. It's a new decade. And it is going to be a phenomenal one. But you know, the thing is, last decade was a phenomenal decade. I think back the last, last decade, and I'm like, wow, so much happened. I had a bunch of babies, lost my job, <laughs> became paralyzed. And you know what? I say that jokingly. It was an amazing decade because I had a bunch of babies and I lost my job and I got <laughs> paralyzed. They're all really good things. All uh, perspective. All man. perspective. Yeah. And um, within that uh, decade, you know, built a, a great real estate empire, started a few companies, traveled all over the place. I really relearned how to walk and breathe and eat, all that good stuff. Um, but most importantly, the best part of the decade by far was that you joined us, Connor. Oh, that was it. That's the pinnacle right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy moly. Dude. I, I don't even have like a good speech or response to that at all. Pressure's on. Dude. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Well, I <laughs> can't tell you how lucky I feel to be here and, uh, be such a uh, pivotal point in the operation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, no, I'm excited about today's great, podcast, and I'm excited it is a new year. Um, it's one of those things that I we didn't actually prepare like a new year podcast. Um, we just stuck to self-storage, and we also stuck to what people are wanting to hear more of. But it is, I think, a perfect one for the new year, because what we're talking about today is what makes a buy and not a buy. Like, what what is it? When you're looking at a storage facility, how to identify this is the one I should buy. There is value, right? So if you're looking at getting started, um, this is the podcast for you. If you're looking at expanding, this is the podcast for you. Um, it's probably the most important subject. It's what everybody wants to know about. And I think that's for a lot of reasons as we've listened to all of you guys, which thank you guys so much. We appreciate the support. Um, we go into this year being the largest uh, self-storage podcast in the world now. It's official. Um, so we're very, very grateful for you guys and uh, our listeners and, and the feedback that you've given us. And we are um, now approaching thousands of listeners every month and uh, or not approaching. We have thousands of lis listeners every single month, um, hundreds uh, just yesterday alone. And um, we we see these stats, and as we're looking at it, as me and Connor were talking about today, we look at the topics that you guys are listening to the most, but we're also looking at um, the, the responses we get. We get a lot on Instagram, our self-storage income. 
uh, page on Instagram where we put some of our projects up and got um, some like really that. good feedback on uh, on Bigger Pockets yes. uh, website and their forums and stuff yes. as well. Uh, we've pulled some really good really good content out of there uh, just through our discussions with you guys and uh, that's been awesome. So yeah, yeah, definitely keep keep reaching out to us, keep interacting and listening to what what you enjoy and well, it helps us. It helps us refine this exactly. content yeah. because me and Connor every day. We're working on our operations. We're working on all our facilities, new development projects, acquisitions. And so there's there's so much we can talk about. And we're basically figuring out from your guys' response what, what you want us to tell about in the operations, what we're seeing in the industry, things like that. And then that's when we put the content together to deliver to you guys. So for everybody, thanks. Continue it. It, it, it helps us. Um, thanks for everybody for our great reviews if you like what you're hearing, you want to hear more, continue to give us great reviews. We really do appreciate it, especially going into this new year. We would ask that everybody go out and give us a good review, especially after you listen to this one, because it's going to be awesome. We had another podcast. Oh, it was a few weeks ago that was it was it? It was actually fairly recent. It was um, how to start investing in storage, the playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's done really well. It was at the first part of this month. And so we did up an actual playbook, which we have on the site, selfstorageincome.com. You can go on there and download it. Um, And this also gave us, we ended the year talking about um, some of these things. We decided we're going to talk about one area specific in the playbook and all these different things. And that's how, how to determine a buy or not to buy. Um, And, this is a uh, one that it, it evolves. So I feel like so many people got started or get started in storage. And over the past history of self-storage, you could build it and be successful almost anywhere. Um, and that has dramatically changed. Um, and... N- I don't mean that as a bad thing. I just mean it that we have to be more careful. You just can't build it and they will come. That's not that that system no longer works. So that's the rise in this question and why we are hearing it now, because there are facilities in trouble across the United States right now, and we are in the best economic period ever. So people are saying, okay, here, how should I know when to pull the trigger or what facility is going to make a good facility. What has the most upside? And we, we were even getting emails from you guys showing us, is this a good facility? And I'm like, well, that's a huge question that I can't email you back a paragraph and say, yeah, two thumbs up, buy it. Um, <laughs> so we wanted to hit on that today. Um, and it really comes down into, I think, two parts. I When we were talking about this before we even got started, I broke, di- I, I broke down the old uh, dry erase marker and kind of drew up my thoughts um, to show really how I think we approach this and and how not to, um, to try to simplify um, and make it so you guys can conceptualize maybe some hard topics. And uh, I know when you guys are hearing, and I know this because I did this when we were starting out, 
you would hear like fund managers and all these people be like, well, we need X percentage. We don't touch anything that doesn't have a population growth of 8% of medium income. Um, and the average household has to have two babies. There has to be a 70% house ownership. And if one out of every 10 people aren't redheads, and if it isn't a positive 30, you know, 8% um, dog ownership, we just don't go into that market. Can't and do it. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. It won't work. And um, that can confuse people because a lot of times those funds are doing that based upon their own criteria and investment schedule, which works for them. That's great. But for people saying, I'm looking for an asset that I want to buy that will be successful, um, you need to come up with criteria based upon different things for yourself, like financing, um, different market structures, which we're, we're, we'll talk about. But I wanted to focus really on here the key ones. The key ones that no matter the size, no matter those types of things, I would say no to, whether it was a 10,000-square-foot facility, 200,000-square, it wouldn't matter. I would just say no to them. Um, once I figured out those things, I can start to really dial in the rest. Um, and that is also market neutral. It's um, population neutral. It, it, you know, get rid of all this stuff. Let's let's stick to the core of the basics so you guys can understand better what makes a good buy and not. So let us break this down to you and show how we think about these things. Um, all of the topics that we're going to point talk about today are important. We're going to break this up into four sections for everybody. I hope this helps. Um, I like to simplify things, particularly complex things like this, so you guys can understand it and act like it's a football that I can hand off and you can just run with it, right? So when we look at the sections and the parts that I want to want to talk about, one part of it there's four sections broken up into two parts. One part is not in your control, and the other part is in your control. This is very important to understand, okay? This is very much how we create the decision process. We will not go on to part two if part one doesn't get, get away with flying colors because part one is the part I can't control. And so focus on that first. Focus on that first and put a huge amount of emphasis. So many of us in storage have been lucky and made lots of money because part one was good. Okay? That had nothing to do with us. And that's important. I recognize it. Um, I recognize areas where we went into certain markets or whatever it may be when the fundamentals of the first part were just fantastic and we were successful because of it and it didn't matter what happened in part two. That's not today. That's not going to happen. This isn't the 90s and this is definitely not just after 2008. There are facilities coming up everywhere. Part one, for the most part, has been our most our, our, our hardest one to tackle because the two areas in that are supply and demand and location. So in part one, we have supply and demand. This is the first one within part one we're going to talk about. Okay. Um, supply and demand 
is I, I have to be careful how I talk about this because it can act a little contrary to part two. But at some point, self-storage is a type of commodity. I do not run my business like it is. I do not invest like it is. What I'm trying to say when I say that is you cannot fight against a market that needs a million square feet and there's three million square feet of inventory on the market. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you are. You will suffer. Prices will crater. And there's nothing you can do about that. You can fight. I don't want to say there's nothing because you can. And I have marketing ploys and things that we do. But it's things are going to go down. Prices drop. And if you don't act in, with the market, at some point, you're, you're going to get hurt. What you want to be is the best in the pack, lead ahead. Um, and uh, so... Let's dive into this. Um, supply and demand. This is probably the most under, I think, appreciated thing, even though it's the most important and people talk about it. And the reason I say that is most people that we talk about, they are still building storage as a build it and they will come. And because maybe there hasn't been a past emphasis on that, we're seeing it today, we'll talk to people that are building a eight. $10 million asset, and we ask them, what is the optimal square foot per capita in this market? They don't even know what the current square foot per, uh, per capita is in the market. Right. Um, <coughs> at the end of the day, they're getting funds, and they don't get paid unless they deploy those funds. So things like, is there enough demand, matter very little. Um, we see this um, in a big way in markets in Texas. And um, I know Nashville, you know, Portland, Boise, Seattle, there's tons of these markets, particularly in second tier markets, but in big first tier markets like in Texas that we're seeing it in. But two, it's also important to understand that we are a hyper localized market. So there's areas in Texas, like in Dallas, that are so overbuilt, they're not going to recover for years, maybe even a decade or more. And right next to them are perfectly good markets. <laughs> so it's like, why are you building here? Why don't you just go 30 minutes down the road and you have a three-mile radius where demand's super high and nobody's even building there. Um, and I haven't quite understood Mr. Market. I never will, so I'll never try to. I just know that I don't fight Mr. Market because he always wins. <laughs> um, so there's no reason to. <laughs> right. Um, so supply and demand, you need to analyze that very, very well. A lot of people have rules, which rules are good. They don't make sense always, but they're good. Um, I know a standard one that I've seen repeatedly is eight square feet of storage per capita in a market or below means there's demand. Now, I'm in markets that have 15 square feet per capita. Before you say... Well, you're doing good in those markets, so I can do good here. And that's a whole thing that we need to dive into, which comes to the second part of location and economics of the situation. But I would never buy a storage facility in any other market with that kind of square footage um, a, a attached to it. And um, what I'm more concerned about with supply and demand existing is what's in the pipeline. The reason is, and and I made a post on this in bigger on the bigger pockets forum. We maybe we could put this as an article up 
on. We actually had somebody that's going to put it up in their form. But um, we could put it up on our site. Um, and that's called Zombie Supply. Uh, and I'll explain Zombie Supply in a second here. But um, what happens in self-storage is the supply that is coming onto the market is unproven supply. So when you have a huge pipeline of supply coming onto the market, that is unknown whether that supply there is demand for it. We have a lot of theories. A lot of people are think that there may be, but let's say you have a market where 10 facilities are being built. Those 10 operators didn't talk to each other. So when they did it, maybe they didn't know that nine other operators were coming, or maybe they only thought two were or three. And so to assume that all 10 of those people did an analysis with all 10 of them in mind, including what was already on the uh, 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 the market, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that's, right. that's why we get overbuilt markets, right? So I'm more scared of what's coming onto the market than what's there, obviously, because it's proven. But two, it's a timing issue. We all know that markets take a while in real estate to correct. And there's a tail on these markets. So this pipeline that's coming on in inventory, capital's been placed, permits have been signed, it's been funded, banks are ready to go, they're digging in the ground, and you have a recession. Does that mean that they stop building? No. It's already in the middle of it. You got to build it. You don't stop with, you know, metal lying around, everything else like that, outside extreme circumstances like in the Great Recession. So you all 10 of these facilities just keep building. And then you have this inventory that comes on the market. You're in the middle of a recession. And that can create a change in the dynamics that weren't before seen. Um, so I think the most important part within this section, uh, the first section um, with supply and demand, is working with your local um, uh, uh, cities, counties, and understanding what that pipeline looks like, and then benchmarking that across existing. Now, for all of you around and in first-tier markets, I'm going to talk to you about the dreaded zombie supply. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. All right, so I've uh, come up with this term that I call zombie supply. And the, um, it's, it's supply that rises from the dead and comes and kills you. The reason why I call it zombie supply is we don't see it. And I, and I have a big problem with the REITs with this because it, the zombie supply is driven by REITs. Because in a REITs reporting, when they report their occupancies, which we look at, I personally believe it was a zombie apocalypse that killed Dallas, a zombie supply apocalypse that killed that, <laughs> that killed um, some of those areas in Texas, in Portland, things that we're hearing about. Because what happens is they're reporting that all my, let's say Dallas, I'm picking on Dallas. I don't know why, just it's the one that comes to my mind. I know that a few, um, a few facilities were taken back in Dallas by banks. But two, with that said, there's plenty of spots in Dallas that are probably still great markets. I, I just need an example. So if you're from Dallas, don't hate me. I got, I got my first name from Austin, Texas. I know it's not Dallas, but come on, give me a break. So um, <laughs> Dallas, let's say public storage, extra space, and CubeSmart, they publish in their quarterly reportings, which everyone should be reading, that our, our facilities in Dallas are on average 
90% full. And everybody looks at that and says, wow, geez, they are just completely full. And I know they've been so busy there. Well, there's a reason for this. Because they don't have to report occupancy on unstabilized assets. So let's say that they also, between them, have 2 million square feet of freshly, newly developed facilities all over the city. They don't include that occupancy, which is ludicrous. It's like they wave a magic wand. You're not real. You don't exist anymore, occupancy. I, I just don't get that. Why it, do they not have to claim that? I, I don't know if it's their own rules that they put. I don't know why they don't. Yeah, that's really um, odd because... I think it's the way the development stage is set up within <coughs> the assets. Um, but on their reporting, they only report what they consider a stabilized asset. So with that, you really have inventory. Their actual occupancy isn't 90%. It's 83% on average. Well, it could not even be close to 90 yeah, so it's, and it, I guess yeah. it depends. They may only have a couple facilities, but that could be concentrated in an area, on and on and on. So I, I call this, zo- uh, this, this is my zombie supply. It's supply that none of us know about, right? And by the time that you're under construction and figure out what the real supply and demand's on, it's too late, you're dead. And they'll rise up from the ground and kill you. And you didn't even know it existed. So it's the zombie supply can be a big thing um, in markets when you're using things like Radius Plus. So we have a tool that we use a lot called Radius Plus, which is an aggregator. And when working with cities, we do a really good job. A perfect example is um, uh, in one of our local markets. I won't pick on Dallas anymore. But our our local market, we can take what the cities have told us, Radius Plus, all the reporting, and we'll still be driving down the road, and lo and behold, there will be a facility being built that nobody even knew about. And all of a sudden, people think what what you think is reality is not. Okay, that's what you just got to be careful about. And so the two ways: work with the city's people, look on things like Radius Plus, but then get out, and drive, drive the city. Know all if you're developing or buying a facility, know all the lands that are that are zoned light industrial that are zoned for potential storage facilities and see if they're being built on or where they're being built. That's the best way you can protect yourself. Now, second part in the uncontrollable. If you're buying a facility and you're out there saying, okay, which facility is good, which facility is bad, there's just one thing you can't control people, and that's location. Um, There's some facilities that do fine, and they're not in great locations, but when you're in a competitive market, you will be the lagger. So if I'm buying a facility, I can't sacrifice on going into a market because I like it. I think it'll be great in 10 years. It needs to be great now. And the location just has to be a good one. It has to be a main street. I'm looking for high frontage. I, I need people when they're looking up on their phone to be able to find us very quickly, easy access in and out. Um, I don't want it to be around other facilities. Uh, there's this, we're, we're really diving in to the consumer and their experience with our facility. That includes how that customer and tenant gets to our facility. You can't change the location. So once again, part one, supply and demand location. You have no control over those two things. You can't just pick your facility up and walk down the road. You don't like it. It's too bad. That's the location it's in. 
You have no control what other people do. So don't even just protect yourself by not uh, getting in the situation. Don't worry about it. Go somewhere else. Um, That is part one. And that's why it's the most important part because I can't control it. So they have to be checked off. And when I say those to me are just checks, yeses or nos, there's no in-betweens. I am either feel great about the location, I feel great about the demand in the market, or I don't. And if there's question, if, if I have questions about it, unless I can resolve those questions, it just falls into a don't. Um, all right, next one. That was part one. Now we're moving on to part two. Part two is within your control. Now, there are some things that you may look at for buying facilities. I am a huge huge proponent on the value-add system that you buy and turn around a facility. With that, we look at the quality of the facility. Remember, if you listen to our podcast, um, there's three types of facilities. You have facilities that get customers on price, facilities that get customers on location, and facilities that get customers based upon quality. Your tenants fall into that place. And if you're if they're buying on price, they leave you on price, and they also choose not to pay you, and it's just money's a hard thing. So that's why I don't ever do that. I don't like that game. I don't like Location, you get some of both, but it's they're much better than the price-oriented ones. And lots of times, price isn't nearly as important as location. Then quality, price doesn't matter. They want quality. We, we only go after location and quality, and so quality is what we're focusing on here. The facility that you're buying, if it's in an area that has a lot of demand, it's in a great location, and it's a piece of junk, I'm buying it. I'm always buying it. Perfection. (laughs) I love it. Um, So right there, which we'll get on to the last one, but for me, because I already have the last one covered, that's my buy signal. Um, I've mentioned this story, I think, before, but, uh, you know, we were up in McCall on our training. I got a call from the – uh, realtor, off-market deal. He gave me the city, which I knew. He gave me the street, which I knew. He gave me the size and how it was being run. I told him, don't ever show it to anybody. I'm buying it now. And we did. We bought it. Um, if I know the market, if demand's good, location is great. And it's just being run. It, people, are they own a real estate asset, not a business. I'm buying it, and I'm going to turn it into a business. Quality includes a few things that we're going to talk about here. Um, when I look at quality, we think the tenant, uh, we focus a lot on the tenant's experience when they come in. There's three things that I'm looking for, um, and that is the quality of, um, like, let's say your curbside um, uh, appeal, right? Your How you look from the street, your signage, your... Um, your presence online, all that. So your your offering of value that I guess you could call, say is more perceived than anything. When a customer sees your facility, what is their perceived value of that, right? Then when they come into the facility, we look at the internal showroom, right? So curbside, then you go into the showroom, and then you go to the product. So showroom. We want an open showroom. We want multiple offerings. We want there to be it warm. I mean, really, we've created a franchise look and model, which we just did with our turnaround facility. We gut the entire showroom. Well, this one, we tore down the building because it was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. But 
why don't you talk about that one actually kind of the before and after and why we did it because that's this is a perfect example yeah no it, it really is for sure the um the office there before wasn't it just a i didn't building. see it was the a two-story old original building one. thing like a okay. house gotcha almost. Gotcha. So similar to like our other properties. And then one room but off to the side was the office. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, anyways, yeah, we tore that down and uh, we just installed a new office, built a completely new office um, in addition to adding more uh, units up there. So we've got um, some climate control and different things that we've, we've got going there as well. Uh, because there was a large portion of that facility that wasn't even being used. Uh, did they just use that for uh, open parking or something before? Yeah. Is that? Okay. Yeah. Um, so we got rid of some of that open parking. We still have some of the covered parking. We left that uh, for the time being. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, you can get a lot better rates, a lot better returns on uh, the units themselves versus uh, open parking. And again, that kind of just goes back to uh, that supply and demand thing where, you know, you got to look at... Uh, what is in demand and um, if you have a whole lot of uh, demand for actual units versus the whole open parking stuff then yeah by all means do the units but um, yeah so we got the new office built up there and I mean just just the difference in that facility with those newer buildings it, oh it's it's paved it's a paved facility by the way and you showed on on your Instagram too by yes, the way that yeah, uh, we everything we kind of got going we on there we have a video on that so if you want yeah. if you want self storage income you can go on there and you can see the video and we show the office right behind we'll throw some more videos up at the inner office so you guys can see it on, on there too that's a good point yeah yeah no it looks amazing um, but just kind of going uh, touching on exactly what you're talking about that quality and that that branding and that feel is completely different of that facility, even in the short amount of time that I've been working on that project. Yeah. And uh, just seeing that that change in that office and just, uh, I, I totally call it, we've got a uh, facility here in Meridian, Idaho that we refer to as, as the Franklin facility. And um, it's, in Franklin's, it's a beautiful facility. It was ground up build. Yeah. Um, and it's incredible. The inside is just huge vaulted ceilings, tons of light. Um, everything is just gorgeous there. It's, it's very well done. It looks amazing. And um, the new office that we've built at this other facility that we're talking about now is, uh, is, is a mini version of that Franklin facility. I mean, to the T. To the T. I mean, yeah. it looks everything. exactly we, we the same but shrunk. Carpet styles. We have yep. every – I mean, it, it, when we say we act like a franchise, we figured out what works. And then we took it down, but it's the the windows, how it's open. We want mm -hmm. people to feel welcome. Then it the the interactive space with the manager, they can stand up, they can work with them from around. They're not they go and they work with them. We did this also on um, in uh, uh, our other conversion, the Kmart we did where they can mm. work side by side. It's yeah. it's a collaborative space for the manager. Um, giving a sales proposition to the new tenants and working with them. <clears throat> so that value proposition when they walk in is a, whoa. You know, it, it's and that really is a lot of the reaction we get from Franklin. People were like, I can't believe this is a storage <laughs> facility. Right. Well, their perceived value is they go, I feel safe. Mm -hmm. I feel like you will protect my belongings that are valuable to me. And that is what, we're looking for right where right. then when they go to the next facility if they want to go look at another one 
they're like, oh, geez, I can't stay here. It should immediately be a downgrade. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and again, I mean, touching on all of those, again, the offerings uh, and just that, that overall quality experience that you're giving to those potential tenants and your current tenants and everything else. Um, I mean, you, you walk in, you've got, uh, I mean, you've got, we've got coffee stuff yep. in there. We've got a little popcorn, concessions, popcorn, yep. waters, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, and it's very, it is, it, it's aesthetically, you know, attractive and pleasing everything else. It's not, you know, ugly and not kept up well or any of that stuff. You know, our managers do a great job keeping a lot of that stuff clean and running and everything else. And just, I mean, it's just, I mean, you walk in there and it's just like, wow, it, it really is just that wow factor. And I would say going to any other facility for sure is an immediate downgrade. Absolutely. Because of just that, that huge, it's setting the bar so high, you know. Um, well, and then that brings us to our third thing. So when now, you have the street appeal, which it needs to pop, but then when they walk in, you want to make sure if they ever go to anybody else, they go, this is, yeah, I'm not paying for this. And then the third one is the, um, the, the actual units. And so when I look at the offering of this, and um, this, I, I got to tell you about a facility we bought a long time ago. It was one of our first big ones. And when we found it, it was 130,000 square feet. I think seven of the buildings were five by fives. They had, I think, like over 400 five by fives. This is a small town. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a teeny town, but it's it's not that big. <laughs> um, they had so many five by fives, and there were they were only thirty percent occupied. They couldn't even keep the doors open. They were they stopped paying their taxes. It was failing. Jeez, yeah. it was uh, under sixty percent. The total facility was under sixty percent occupied. The five by fives were only thirty percent occupied. We looked at it and said, okay, the location is great. At the time, the market was awesome. We bought it. We came in. We then changed the offering. We changed the street front. We put our name. We did the whole branding. We changed the office. And then we went in. We took all those five-by-fives, and we ripped all the doors out. We changed the middle of them. It didn't take a lot because of how it was built, which was an immediate attraction to us. We made them into five-by-fives, ten-by-tens, and we changed the unit sizes. We mixed up based upon the demand that was in the market, and we went straight to 90 plus percent. And this is important to notice. That facility was charging 20 cents a square foot a month. We went at sixty uh, under 60% occupied. Within a year, we were over 90%, and we were charging over 55 cents a square, uh, uh, cents a square foot a month. And we were over 90%. So that has to do with offering the quality. They'd gotten a lot of those things wrong. Now, this leads us in. So those are the three things. Remember that. Quality and offering, curbside, showroom, and then product. What units? And uh, units, we've done creative things like we implement technologies that allow to be automated what people like. We add things like wine storage, um, climate-controlled. We add things like we double the aisleways so semis can get through. We did this on a facility, so it was specially made for businesses. Larger units, deep, that people could do high-end RV parking, which we're charging over you know, 300 bucks a month for those. Um, and they can control the automated doors so they're not having to lift them up. So you can change the offerings 
right, of the products. Okay, this brings us to our last part in this. Execution, okay? Operations. When I buy a facility, this is all centered around what can I do better? And this is the accumulation of how we structure the offerings. But when we look at this, Remember the two parts. You have the part you can't control, supply, demand, location, the part you can control, offering, quality, um, and perceived value, and then operations. The operations are there to um, execute a good sales process funnel that is being made that brings them to a buy. Um, and it it is, it is side by side with your offering. So the buying process or experience of that tenant is a good one. So I look at it from this combines our online strategy with our groundwork strategy. They come, they find us online. They, we have call centers. We have multiple employees there. We're keeping the facility clean. We ex, Part of the execution and the offering, like the, uh, the, the condiments that we talked about, um, but two, one of the biggest parts of the execution is a part that's not really discussed. I, I'm going to talk about it really quick. And this is your marketing strategy. Because remember, we talked the three parts of the facility. You have price, location, um, and you have quality. That is, so those are the three facilities and those are the three buyers. Um, I need to find the people that are focused on quality. So I have to create a campaign which I can execute and get all the people that are focused on quality to come in and see our offering. If you have a great offering and people can't see it, it doesn't matter. So executing on what is presented is a whole other story. Um, we know facilities that were great-looking facilities. In fact, they were immaculate. I'll give you an example. We went and bought a facility off-market. guy brought it to us. And we went to this facility, and it was one of the best-looking facilities we'd seen. CapEx was like nothing. They'd already got done paving, and we kind of walked around, and we're just like, there's nothing to do here. Hmm. But the execution on that offering of that product was dismal. We bought it. All we did was change our internal operations, our marketing strategies, and we changed our revenue management systems. Oh, jeez, we're at over 30% cash on cash return on that facility within two years. Perfect. And that was only execution. I didn't have to change anything. We just needed to make sure that we were doing good revenue management. We're talking delinquencies. We're talking, there's large amounts of delinquencies, people that aren't paying. We shore that up. Um, bad debts in the range of 10% delinquencies and 10%. We got delinquencies down to you know 3%. You're bringing all these things, or excuse me, bad debt and delinquencies down from 10% to 3%, but then vacated units, they're not being turned out, put back onto the market. So you have this lag in vac uh, in occupancy because this artificial vacancy, that's just because mm -hmm. you're not getting them onto the market. Um, we changed that. And then we implemented a revenue strategy where we focus on um, systematically uh, giving rate increases every six to nine months and doing competitive um, pricing strategies within that market. That's all we had to do. 
well, it's not like that's all. I mean, don't mean that like a little thing. We've spent years getting it done. But we could buy a facility that required virtually no CapEx at all, and we just managed it better, and we had huge, huge upside. That's the ex- execution. That's well, the operations. That's the management. And that's the only thing that will give you continual, continual, sustained, long-term results. Right. Right. You're exactly right. Um, and that's exactly what, I mean, the, this most recent facility that we bought, I mean, it wasn't, it's not immaculate by any means. There's some different things that need done, obviously structure, uh, with the physical asset itself and some, some improvements we can do there. But for the most part, this most recent facility that we've bought is kind of the same thing where it's literally the, the vast majority of what needs done there is just operations. hundred percent. Um, those are obviously our favorite to buy because that's what we do and we're good at it. And so there's huge, huge upside. And you guys, I, I think a lot of people underestimate how poorly ran most of the facilities are. Uh, you don't even need to be in the industry to go in and walk in. That's what really brought us to the industry. We're looking at this and I go, I don't know anything about storage. I'm an insurance guy. And I can tell you I can run that 10 times better. Right. You know? And so <laughs> Common sense tells me. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, I could open up the door. Right? I, You know, it's like, right. I mean, simple stuff here. Um, and uh, um, when we looked at the finances, we got rid of bad spending and we put in good marketing. Um, but this part, which is the, I mean, think about this as a triangle where supply and demand is your base. Because it doesn't matter what you build on it. If that's not solid, everything else will crumble. Your next layer, so that's the biggest. Your next layer is location, right? And then you have your offering and quality. Now you're into what you can control. And the top, the pinnacle of it all that brings it all together is the operations, the management of your facility. And unless you got that down, it's just not a pyramid doesn't work. And so um, you need each one of them, but the heavier, bigger ones at the bottom, they are, you know, you just can't even mess with it. You got to have a good foundation to execute everything else. Because then too, you, you could have the best operations in the world, but if there's too much supply, you could be floundering and you'll never even know. You won't know if it was you, if it was the market. So if you're in a good market and you're doing something wrong, occupancy is there stuff, you can figure that out. And that helps you learn to get better. Um, and that's the one thing that we did. And that allowed us to build policies, procedures, strategies that we could implement time and time and time again because we knew we were in good markets. So if something wasn't executing in the way we wanted it to, it was because we were doing something wrong. Well, if I'm in an oversupplied market, it's, I don't know it could, I could always just blame it on the market. Well, I can't build a system of success off that. That doesn't work. Right, I have to, to know where I'm failing. I have to be able to learn. So, guys, I hope this makes sense. Um, I hope that you find this useful going into this new year, people. Um, get out there. Get deals done. The next 10 this next decade is going to be a decade of mass consolidation. And you better believe that I'm going to be right out there in the front doing it. Getting it done. So, getting it done. <laughs> so you guys listening, 
You're going to hear how me and Connor are out buying all the facilities in the world in the next coming decade. Follow us along in our journey. If you're loving this, please, guys, I really mean this. This really helps, and I appreciate it when you guys give us five-star ratings and a good review. It tells us you're liking what we're doing. Send in questions. Tell us what you want. If there's something that we're not touching on or you don't like, shoot us an email, right? 100%. Shoot us an email. Let us know. Uh, we're doing this for you guys. It does take a lot of time and effort, and we love doing it. Um, we love doing it for you. We really do love this industry. We're obsessed with it. We want to get better. We want to continue, and we want to share our experiences and our journey on this uh, in this industry with you guys. So go to Self Storage Income. You can get our uh, our um, our guide. Uh, if you're starting out, you can go up uh, out there and download it. Yeah, the name of that guide is How to Start Investing in Self Storage: The Playbook. It's uh, a step-by-step playbook that will show exactly how you can start investing in self-storage by none other than A.J. Osborne himself. Crazy, right? Crazy. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. <laughs> uh, so. so, yeah, definitely check that out. And um, like A.J. saying, yeah, leave us some reviews. Get after it. Get things done. Um, send us your comments, your questions. Get involved. A um, lot of exciting things going on. Definitely looking forward to this new year and all the opportunities that are uh, out there. And, yeah. Um, Looking forward to all of it, man. Really excited. Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.